0: Father, we come before you with this this beautiful proclamation, Emmanuel, God with us. What an incredible journey, Jesus, for us to try to imagine. What an incredible blessing and gift that you give us, Jesus, in this God with us reality. We thank you and we praise you for that. Father, I pray that as we turn the corner now and we look at your word uh, through the gospel of Luke this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through this, your inspired word, that you would use my words to speak, that you would uh, remove from us the many potential distractions and you would allow us to hear the, the challenge and the encouragement from your Holy Spirit. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, I want to echo what Michelle shared earlier this morning, uh, just the encouragement from hearing uh, stories about the adventures that you all have been uh, going on as you are bringing joy to the world that God has placed you in. Uh, I I love hearing those, and want to just encourage you to continue in that, continue listening to the Spirit and and making steps that may seem small but but are significant, uh, to take steps to think of creative ways to be loving others and sharing Jesus with others. Well, we uh, continue this morning in this series. Um, we wish you a Merry Christmas. And as we are pondering Mary's experience and in, in walking through what it was to um, have Christ forming in her and to respond to Gabriel in, in the beautiful way that she did. And, and as we have been challenged to respond in a humble and um, gracious, uh, obedient way as Mary did, as the Lord really invites all of us to, into this opportunity of having Christ formed in us. So it is, it is our prayer that, um, as our uh, prayer is a session and, and staff, that, that we as a congregation would be taking steps further and further, deeper and deeper into our relationship with Christ as we respond to God. And, and what it is to have Christ formed in us this Advent season. So I want to, this morning we get to look at Luke chapter 2. So I um, encourage you to uh, pull out your, to go um, to Luke 2 verses 2 through, uh, I'm sorry, verses 21 through 38 with me. Um, so if you have a Bible, pull that out. There's, there's screens up um, that you can look at the verses. I'll read a few verses and then make a few comments And if you are in elementary school in particular, I've been uh, challenging my kiddos recently, um, especially third grade and above. We make this big deal about giving third graders Bibles. And this is the time, if you're a third grader or above in this worship service, um, I want you to pull out your Bible and to find Luke 2 and to follow along with me. Um, I acknowledge elementary school students, there are times in this worship service that it's hard for you to engage. Uh, But one of the ways you can is when we open up scripture, you know how to find Luke 2, and you can go there with us and follow along. So I encourage you to do that. Luke 2, verses 21 through 38. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. So Luke is making it clear right off the bat that um, Joseph and Mary, they were rightly following the Jewish practices. They were obeying um, what the angel Gabriel, uh, the instructions that the angel had given them. Um, So they had had Jesus circumcised. They had given him the name that Gabriel um, instructed them to give him. And they were um, taking, uh, going now to the temple um, when baby Jesus was around five weeks old for this purification ceremony. So they were walking through, rightly obeying all these instructions and Jewish practices. So we read in verse 25, then we continue on. um, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was a righteous and devout, He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting along with many others in Israel, waiting for the comfort that would come to Israel in the midst of their suffering. So Isaiah and many other uh, prophetic writings in the Old Testament would have been looking forward to prophesying, talking about this coming Messiah who would come and redeem his people Israel. So Simeon, this, um, this prophet, this devout man of God, he is waiting for that consolation of Israel. And, and the Holy Spirit was on him. And then we, we read in verse 26 that it had been revealed to him to Simeon by the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. This verse kind of sends me on this, this tangential wondering of, what, what is it, what can we be doing to train ourselves to listen to the Holy Spirit as Simeon was listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit? But we won't go down that road for now. But I, um, what, a, what a beautiful thing that we have the Holy Spirit and that we can actually listen and hear the word of the Lord through the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we keep reading in verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. As he's looking at this baby, as he's holding this baby, my eyes have seen your salvation, God, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. So I don't know exactly um, uh, what exactly Simeon believed or assumed in that moment as he's holding this baby Jesus about how this baby would bring redemption to his people. But he did believe it. And he rightly understood from prophecy that, that this redemption that would be brought by this baby, this redemption was not just for the people of Israel, but it was to bring a light to all peoples. So he's holding this baby and, and proclaiming this, and um, we continue on in verse 33. We read that the child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him, and and when you think about it, well, of course they did. Um, this prophecy of this Redeemer of Israel brings back, you know, this had been prophesied for, for hundreds of years and, and for thousands of years, and... Um, they would have, it would have brought back to them some of the, the, um, the memory of the seemingly idyllic kingdom of King David as, as he reigned in his kingdom at that time. And, and they would have looked at this reign of the Messiah to be this victorious kingdom somewhat like that. So Simeon's initial words were yet another confirmation to Mary that the Lord's word to her was real, that his plan for this child was real. It was going to happen. Now, I imagine that Mary and Joseph had been kind of quietly living into this reality for the last almost year. Um, and, and I imagine not a lot of uh, was said publicly about what Mary and Joseph knew about what was um, said of this baby Jesus. So then as this um, prophet, as Simeon, speaks this out loud in front of a crowd, I imagine that may have been the first time that it was spoken in such a way. And, and Mary could have felt um, some significant affirmation in that, and, and, um, as well as maybe even some, some pride swelling up and, and you know, some realization that, wow, this is, this is really going to be happening now that it's stated in this public and, and um, in a way with such certainty By Simeon. And then after proclaiming that, then the next thing that Simeon says to Mary, we read in verses 34 and 35. He looks at Mary and he says, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against So, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So, this child would cause the falling and the rising of many. Jesus would cause this polarization between Jewish people where many Jews would follow him and many Jews would not. And and this would likely have been somewhat unfathomable to a Jewish mind to think about the Messiah, to think about not all Jews following the Messiah. What? This Messiah that had been prophesied for so long that had been long awaited and expected and, and you're suggesting that not all Jews will follow him? That may have been unfathomable. And it's true that Mary is maybe getting used to this this kind of unfathomable news. So a sign that would be spoken against, Simeon says. These words again point to this reality that people will be against Jesus. A sword will pierce your own soul too. So this implies the result of of significant suffering and perhaps death for for Mary and the implication is for Jesus as well. This is a lot to process as Mary takes in these words. Women, I wonder how you would respond if um, you, with your five week old baby, you had received words like this. Would you trust them? Would you be angry at them? Would you be concerned about them? Would it cause a bunch of anxiety? I, I, I think at the very least, you would never forget them. And then in that very moment, as, as Mary is processing this, then Anna, this devout prophetess, she comes up to Mary and Joseph, and she starts giving thanks to God and speaks about the baby Jesus to all who were looking forward to the redemption that he would bring. Certainly at this point, Mary's mind is just racing as she's processing these, this different information, these different things that both Simeon and Anna have said about her baby Jesus. So this is, this is the moment that, that I want to step aside from the story and, and kind of look on and ponder together Simeon's words, specifically the words towards the end, where he talks about a pierced heart for Mary and implied for Jesus. And I think this, these words speak directly into how we should understand redemption and discipleship. I think this pierced heart for Mary and for Jesus, teaches us something important about the cost of redemption and about the cost of discipleship. So here's the first thing I want to say as we think about the the cost of redemption and the cost of discipleship. Those will be the the two things that we'll kind of explore a little bit now. Um, the, The one thing, the first thing I want to say about those costs, is this that the way to salvation is costly because the debt accumulated from sin is significant so as mary ponders simeon's words i imagine that this particular truth may have slowly become more and more clear to her and and by slowly i mean over over years and years this idea would have become more clear to her, that the way of salvation is costly because the debt accumulated from sin is significant. While Mary would certainly have been um, acquainted with the law and the prophets, she would not necessarily have associated the Messiah's work of redemption with division and rejection and pain. It wasn't until after Jesus' life on earth and then his death and then his resurrection that, that then it, it, the, these messianic prophecies beca- began be- to become more and more clear. So at that point, most Jews would have understandably been expecting a victorious redemption that did not have pain on the path to redemption. And, and this is where, I think, if we're honest with ourselves, this is the kind of redemption that, that we want, that, that many of us actually expect, and that none of us experience redemption without pain on the path. We all want it that way. Many of us expect it that way, but but none of us experience it that way. We experience pain on the path to redemption. So the question then is, can can we trust a God? Are we interested in a God who allows pain on the path to redemption? Am I willing to walk towards the piercing of my soul? So Tim Keller he responds to this kind of question like uh, with this illustration regarding surgery. He if one has a cancerous tumor then then saving and healing involves spilling blood and cutting something out. So the path to being rescued from cancer involves pain. And though we don't like it, I think this can reasonably I think we can reasonably acknowledge that this path is the path of our human reality that most great things cost us something when we consider the the revelation of god's plan of redemption from the beginning of time if we go all the way back to what's written in genesis the idea of pain on the path to redemption has has always been present even if foggy when we think about how the punishment for sin against God is death, and, and it's always been that way. And, and God, as we read in the Old Testament scriptures, he, he graciously instituted the, this sacrificial system where, um, that illustrated um, or, or that it then gave the opportunity for grace through a substitutionary atonement, through a substitutionary death, and that often involved a, an unblemished lamb that was killed in place of those who sinned against the Lord. So throughout Jewish history, they would have experienced countless reminders of this idea that sin must be atoned for by death. As animal sacrifices for this purpose would have been a, a regular part of Jewish life. As they grew up, they would have seen it and smelled it and heard it in a regular way. Sin causes death. Redemption involves pain, and bloodshed. God built this system um, into the lives of those Jewish people in part to be kneading it into the dough of their lives. And and for us as well, that, that this is the way that God was slowly revealing himself and his ways to his people. So I imagine, as I, as I go back to those Old Testament times, I imagine that they understood at some level that those animals were not actually redeeming the sin of the people, but just reminding them of their need for redemption. The Lord, the great Redeemer, the promised Messiah, He, he would one day come and eventually fully redeem their sin. The promise of this great Redeemer was, was what the Old Testament Jews were putting faith in. They were putting, in the pro, they're putting faith in the promise of this Messiah to come, who would actually fully redeem their sin. But the question is, how, how would he do it? How would the Messiah redeem his people? How would this baby Jesus in the arms of Simeon, how would this baby bring light to all Peoples. And it turns out that he would do it through pain and death, as the sacrificial system had illustrated for centuries. The great Redeemer would die to redeem his people. All of those who follow the Redeemer would would not only share in redemption, which is incredible, and which is what we praise the Lord for, and which that's the part of the truth that we lean into and we love. But but not only do we share In redemption, but as we follow Jesus, we also share in the cost of redemption. And that's the part that's really sobering. In in many, in the coming years, Mary would have learned firsthand about the cost of redemption. As she saw with her own eyes her son, her Messiah, die on the cross. She would have learned firsthand about the cost of discipleship as she watched the, and experienced uh, those, the pain of those who followed Jesus in that time. There's no way that Mary would have fully realized in the moment that Simeon had shared these words with her the kind of cost and pain that she would experience. And, and for us now, as we process this, you know, for us um, after, on the other side of Jesus's life and death and resurrection, um, for us on the other side of, you know, 2,000 years worth of stories of, of people who are following Jesus, on, on this side of that, we can't either know exactly what our cost of redemption, uh, how that will play out, this cost of redemption and cost of discipleship in our life. We know a lot more about the cost of uh, of redemption and the cost of discipleship, but we can't predict exactly how it will play out for each of us. We know that the cost of redemption involves the piercing of our Messiah, so, so this is personal when you think about it. The, if the cost of redemption involves the piercing of my Messiah, if Christianity is based on a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then as I think about my Savior, my, um, this personal relationship that I have with Jesus, as I think about him experiencing the trauma and the death, on the cross, which included separation from the Heavenly Father, when I think about that, then the fact that it was necessary for him to go through that trauma to redeem my sin, to, the fact that I think about um, he willingly went through that trauma to redeem us, that should, that should pierce our soul. My sin And a world of sin like mine, but my sin made death and pain necessary on the path to redemption. Jesus, knowing all of our flaws and failures, he willingly walked through, walked in that pain and that death to redeem us. We live in this, this world that's kind of abounding with um, self-help and coping mechanisms that, and, and this litany of distractions that would gladly steer our attention away from the pain of dwelling on the substitutionary death of our Savior. So my, the, you know, a question that comes to mind is, I think, well, do I often dwell on, think about uh, the substitutionary death of my savior, the cost of redemption that Jesus walked through. Do I think about what he endured on the cross? Do I pause to really reflect on that with the Lord? You know, and this is where the reality of life comes in and, and all of the distractions and the, the easy places for my mind and my time to get pulled and I get up in the morning and I, oh, I gotta get up and exercise and I gotta get Ashley to school and I, and I don't wanna be late and then then I gotta get to work get to work and, and how can I be doing things in work that will make me more effective and how can I be doing things as a father and as a parent that will make me more effective and and oh I gotta get a new new garage door in my house and I gotta put up siding and I gotta fix this thing that is wrong and, and oh there's this Marvel movie that I haven't seen yet that I wanna see and um, <laughs> And uh, oh, this thing that I committed to that I forgot to do, and um, movies and hobbies and TV and stuff, 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 just all of these things come into our mind and take our attention and our time away. Anything, anything that will take our attention away from this painful slow down and ponder what it is that our Savior endured death on the cross as a part of the cost for our. Redemption, Anything to rescue me from that painful pondering of his dying in my place. The painful reality that, that my sin made that possible, made that necessary, I should say. You know, and it's, we think about that, and um, you know, it's an easy thing to say, and we all hear that a lot, that my sin made Christ's death necessary. Um, but do you really believe that? It's my, my pride in a given moment can, can actually question, you know what, my sin isn't that big a deal. So, you know, I, I think, um, I think I, my sin doesn't actually deserve eternity separated from the Lord. But then I have to realize that if I believe you know, if I believe that my sin is no big deal, then I have to conclude that the redemption that Jesus offers is no big deal as well. And if I look at what Scripture says, and if I believe that redemption is a really big deal, that it is incredible that the Son of God came to earth and lived and walked on earth and died on the cross for us, if I believe that's a big deal, then, then my, my sin must be a big deal to have made that necessary. And that's an assault to my, my pride. That's an assault to the, the middle-class comfort that we walk through every day that says, no, your, your sin caused that. Your sin made that necessary. So I need to pause and, and be honest about asking the Lord that question. Do I, do I believe that my sin made that necessary? while the world would gladly steer me away from from spending a moment and pondering that, it is precisely that in leaning into that pain, the pain of pondering what Christ did for us as we lean into that, then, then we receive the greatest gift of life, the gift of life of what it is to know more and more fully the gift of redemption in that extraordinarily high cost of redemption. So the challenge that I want to give you in regards to that, and and this challenge is this, that, that we need to dwell on the piercing of our Messiah. I challenge you to think about ways that you can do that this week. How can you be dwelling on the piercing of your Messiah this week? Because I believe that as we dwell on the cost of redemption, we will more fully realize the gift of redemption. I want to say a few things about the cost of discipleship and then end with a final challenge after that. The cost of discipleship involves a piercing of our soul. We look at Matthew 16, 25, which says um, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and, he's, and um, he says, if any of you would come after me, then you must deny, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. That's the cost of discipleship. Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That is the cost of discipleship. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.21, he says, This to this you were called, that Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. This is the cost of discipleship. Part of the cost of discipleship is is the war we wage with our sinful nature. And war is painful. While we have the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us and empowering us, as long as we're still on earth, that power of the Spirit will be in battle with our sinful nature. We have this sinful nature that wants to to say the hurtful things that we shouldn't say. It wants us to run after immediate gratification that we shouldn't be running after. It wants us to be free from the submission to our Heavenly Father and to live a life the way we would rather live. Our spirit nature goes to battle against our sinful nature, and that battle is painful. Painful. That that battle is painful both in when we lose that battle and even when we have victories in that battle. The battle itself is painful. It involves a piercing of our soul. So there's another part to this cost of discipleship, and that is this, that when we identify ourselves as Jesus's followers, when we identify with his life, then however gently or humbly we live, if we are actually following Jesus closely, then our life will be an accusation against anyone living in opposition to Jesus's life. So that means our living under the lordship of Jesus exposes others who are not living under the lordship of Jesus. My um, putting others first as I follow Jesus exposes those who are living in selfishness and putting themselves first. Others will be hurt and offended by our very life, which implies that they should live in submission to a God that they may not even believe in. Or, or at the very least, um, that they are not following him in a way that we are following him. When we don't talk the way others talk, or when we don't um, watch what others watch, and when we don't spend time the way others spend time, some will be attracted by the love of Jesus that they see within that difference. And some will be offended by the accusation that they feel within that difference. That's the cost of discipleship. This cost plays out differently depending on um, when and where in the world that you live. But, But the cost plays out. Anytime you follow Jesus in view of those who are not following him, your discipleship will cause conflict. It will cause pain. It will cost you. So the, this final challenge that comes along with that is this. Expect pain and conflict as you follow Jesus. You don't seek it or you don't manufacture it, but you expect it so that when it comes, you can interact with the Lord about it and you can talk to him and invite him into it. So the two challenges that I, I really want to press you into thinking about this week are these dwell on the piercing of your Messiah this week and expect pain and conflict as you follow Jesus. So you're thinking, well, yeah, Merry Christmas to you too, Brentley. Uh, <laughs> thanks for that message! Um, and the reality is this, this is sobering. It, it is sobering to think about the cost of redemption and the cost of discipleship. But I firmly believe that these costs are connected to an incredible gift. If we look at some of what Paul writes in Romans and 2 Corinthians, we see some of this come out. As In Romans 8, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He says later, so therefore we do not lose heart, um, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is only temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. Paul goes on to describe how, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any power, nor neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The cost of redemption and the cost of discipleship is great. Great. But when we think about the cost of redemption and the cost of discipleship, and we think about as we move into those things, the gift, we get to experience the gift of redemption and the gift of discipleship. And though the cost is great, the gift of redemption and the gift of discipleship is infinitely greater. Father, we look to you this morning and and we are sobered by The incredible thing you do for us. What it cost you. And Father, honestly, what it cost us. I pray that as we are honest with ourselves about the cost of redemption and the cost of discipleship, Father, we would realize in a growing way the gift of redemption and the gift of discipleship and that we would get up and we would follow you joyfully and faithfully and um, through suffering, in the midst of suffering, that we would give glory to you in the midst of these incredible gifts. Father, as we move into these last days before uh, we celebrate Christmas and we, we think about you, Jesus, arriving in this manger as a baby, I pray that we would think not only about a baby in a manger, but we would think about the gift of redemption that you had come to bring us. May we respond then with joyful devotion. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.